it shouldn't be about restricting. It shouldn't be about burning. It should, in fact, be about using food to fuel the body so that you have that energy to be able to work out and live a happy, full and functional life and using exercise to maintain your fitness rather than to try and burn calories. Otherwise, Mm. we're all just going to feel like a rat in a cage, just burning off every last piece of cheese. And what's the fun in that? Welcome to the Australian Weight Loss Surgery Podcast, where every two weeks we explore all the aspects of the weight loss surgery journey. We'll hear from a range of experts, including bariatric surgeons, psychologists, patients, and dietitians, sharing up-to-date informative advice to help fast-track your long-term weight loss success. And welcome back to the Australian Weight Loss Surgery Podcast. I'm Jackie Lewis. I'm your host, and I'm the clinical nutritionist at BN Healthy. For today's episode, I'm pleased to present to you Dr. Angela Kwong. Angela is a general practitioner with a special interest in medically supervised weight loss. She's only one of 19 GPs in Australia with the SCOPE certification from the World Obesity Federation. She's the director and principal GP at Uplift Med and the creator of the Enlighten Me program. Enlighten Me is a medically supervised weight loss program that provides individualized medical care, specific nutrition advice, and some fantastic regular support, coaching, and of course, a bucket of understanding. Angela is the mother of one, and in her spare time, she enjoys learning to dance ballet online and finding creative ways to fix things. So a very warm welcome to Dr. Angela Kwong. Thank you for your time today. Thanks for having me on the show, Jackie. It's a pleasure to be here. It's been a pleasure. We've spent quite a lot of time off air talking about your work in this area. And it's really wonderful. I just want to sort of preface our episode with how wonderful it is to hear such holistic approach and really quite patient-centered work coming from the general practitioner realm and how you're very keen to take that to other GPs so that it becomes a bit more of a norm. So I just wanted to acknowledge you for your firstly entrepreneurship and for kind of bending that general line we go down with medicine. I think it's you're really starting to open up that sort of holistic understanding of people's health and what we can do for them as well. So it's certainly wonderful. Thank you. With the changes in the area of weight management, why do you think it's been so difficult until now? to find the answer of it's not just a simple matter of eating less and moving more. How do you think that is evolving over time? Yeah, I think that it's quite difficult because we've all been stuck in these simple sayings for far too long. It's so easy for us to say, oh, you just need to eat less and move more, or you need to just create a calorie deficit, or it's as simple as energy in versus energy out. But what in effect this has done is that us doctors members of the public, allied health, everyone, we've kind of gotten caught up in this. And it means that when patients are coming to us, seeking our help and our support and our care, we're actually just throwing the blame back on them. And they feel stigmatized and discriminated. And they feel like they should have known the answer all along. And they're actually to blame. So it's very, very hard. And that's one of the things that I try and teach people when it comes to weight loss in that we need to change the narrative. Mm -hmm. And in saying these things for far too long, 
There's also so many factors that affect a patient's weight. And we are often caught up in those simple things like every patient that comes to me asking for help with weight loss, they always have tried a few basic things. Sometimes they'll say that they've been fasting for prolonged periods or they've been trying to cut their portion size or they're trying to track their calories or they're trying to burn it off at the gym. But what I've been trying to teach them is that we've got to completely change our mindset. It shouldn't be about restricting. It shouldn't be about burning. It should in fact be about using food to fuel the body so that you have that energy to be able to work out and live a happy, full and functional life and using exercise to maintain your fitness rather than to try and burn calories. Otherwise, Mm. we're all just going to feel like a rat in a cage, just burning off every last piece of cheese. And what's the fun in that? I agree with that. And it's interesting even like looking at how we're trying to change the way we look at what we used to call the simple maths of weight loss, energy in, energy out. And even we're so kind of indoctrinated in that mindset and you go to the gym and people are looking at the calories in their Mars bar or whatever it is. And then how long do I need to walk on the treadmill to burn it off? Because the treadmill will also tell you how many calories you've burned. So we're stuck in that nutritional label we're shown how many calories are in something. And then our natural kind of thinking is, well, I need to, if I'm not going to gain weight or if I'm going to stay, maintain my weight, I need to go and walk on the treadmill for 300 calories. It's not quite as simple as that when it comes down to biochemistry, unfortunately. That's right. I think that data is really funny. Now we have so many of these tracking devices and every now and then I'll actually get a patient that comes into the surgery and says, I just got this new phone and I got this new watch and it's telling me that I'm actually a very poor sleeper. Mm -hmm. And I say, do you feel like you're a poor sleeper? Like how long does it take you to fall asleep? And do you feel refreshed when you wake up? They said, I fall asleep straight away and I sleep through the whole night and I wake up and I feel great. And then I was like, are you really a poor sleeper or is that just what you think? And that's because they've looked at the data and they've seen that they tossed and turned a few times and The data tells them that they're a poor sleeper, but the patient in fact is feeling good. And so it's easy to get caught up in the data and what we should be doing is actually treating people and not really Mm. treating the numbers. And just in saying that, I think it's quite incredible how we just hand ourselves over to these devices and to this feedback and we stop asking ourselves. And that's probably one of the things I really like to hone in on is listening to ourselves. And like you say, using food as fuel and also coupling that with a new listening. And I think with everything that we have that can tell us all these different things, we've actually stopped kind of trusting that what we're doing could possibly be what's right for us as well. And you're right, if you wake up and you feel fabulous and you sleep really soundly and you're not waking up during the night, but your watch is telling you that you're not a sound sleeper, at what point do we go, that's just not right? And how much trust are we putting in this technology then kind of takes away from what we're trying to achieve. That's right. It's really funny, but it all comes down to common sense, doesn't it? So (laughs) we've got to, sometimes data can be helpful and sometimes we can use the data, analyze the data and make changes based on it. But we also have to have that element of common sense that if we're feeling good, we trust our own instinct. Yeah, that's true, isn't it? And And these kind of programs like yours, also that regular checking in is a good way of building that trust in ourselves and knowing that given this, taken on this responsibility for ourselves and the different things that we might need to implement to create that change. But the regular check-ins that you're offering are also that way of building the feedback loop, I think, of I did this this week and I'm noticing this and this is the benefit. And I think if we're not doing that regular kind of stock take of what's happening, we tend to also miss a lot of that introspection and the feedback. 
We do. And close follow-up is something that is a bit of a novel idea, but something that is quite important. Mm. And I think back about the way that I used to practice weight loss medicine, which was the way that it had been taught to me in medical school and the way that my mentors before me had demonstrated to me, which is essentially the role of the GP is to prescribe weight loss medication measure the patient's blood pressure and weight, and then I'll see you in three to six months' time when all of the repeats run out. Mm. And then you see them three to six months later, and they've tried to manage setbacks, and they've tried to manage challenges by themselves during that time. They have this really high level of motivation when they come out of that consultation, and they're ready to implement changes. But within two to three weeks, that motivation kind of dies down. And sometimes by the time I see them at that three to six month mark, we're starting again from the very beginning. So I think close follow-up and the ability to be able to maintain regular steady follow-up is something that's really important. And it's actually a great non-pharmacological method to accelerate your weight loss journey. So Mm -hmm. what I've tried to do is create a timetable where patients are seen at specific time points for us to titrate the medication because I like treating patients as individuals and not everyone requires the same dose. We really only need to be on the minimal effective dose for things to be happening and no more than that. And also, I think it's important to remember to review the patient's nutrition during that time, because as you're losing weight, then your requirements are going to be changing. And so it's worth looking into, are you getting enough protein, fat, fiber, and fluid during this time? And the other thing that's important is being there. So in traditional general practice, patients would usually walk out the door and in three to six months later, they call and make the appointment. Whereas what I've created is that set of six appointments over 16 weeks. And I also see them every week. (laughs) So once a week, every week, then we have that regular weekly group coaching. And in fact, last night I had one of my um, weekly group coaching calls with the Enlighten Me members. And two of the ladies that turned up said, Because I saw you last week, I actually went for a walk and carried the water bottles to increase the intensity and the challenge on my upper body. I didn't eat that bag of popcorn and I didn't eat the chips. And I kind of laughed and said, we haven't even prescribed any medication. We haven't (laughs) even had your first medical consult and you're already on track. This is amazing. I better see you every week. It's fantastic. And there's evidence in that. It's accountability. It's front of mind. It's just keeping everything kind of keeping your goals front and centre is part of it. And I think with the way we live our lives these days, it's very easy to kind of lose that contact with them. And the weekly intervention is a fantastic way of just realigning on a regular basis. There's evidence for accountability. It's just even having that. And it's not so much like big brother watching. It's just that you know someone's got your back and you know that you're working on something that's looking towards positive change and benefit. And I think just having that weekly check-in, they're proving that it's accountability, it's regularity and it's habit change. And it all comes with that sort of regular guidance, I think. That's actually something that I found really surprising. A few weeks ago, I started this free Facebook group called Medical Weight Loss for Australians. And one of the entry questions that I had there was, what do you think would help you the most when it comes to weight loss? And being a doctor who was hosting the group, I thought that everyone would say, show me the drugs, tell me the medications, what are the side effects? And that's honestly what I thought they would be asking me for. But the great majority of responses were actually, I think I need support and I need accountability. And so I took that on board and I thought, let's just give the people what they want. They're obviously 
looking for that frequent support and that frequent follow-up. And what we do in those weekly group coaching calls is essentially try to manage any setbacks that are coming up. So if you've got a Christmas party next week and you want to think about what kind of healthy choices that you can make, or if you can prepare something before you go, or if say, for example, you want to prepare your shopping list for the next week and you want to see if there's any healthier choices that you can make. It's about stopping and thinking before action is taken, because usually we kind of get caught up in our busy lives, work, kids pick up everything, and we just do whatever is quick and easy and that we've done before. And that's what our mind will naturally do. But if we can actually stop, think and plan ahead, then we know we're going to be set up for success for the week ahead. Yeah, correct. It's in the planning, I think, as well, making sure that we firstly know how to plan. I think a lot of us kind of get to our adult life and it might not necessarily be a skill set that we've inherited is what are we going to eat this week? How do I make my meal plan? Why am I planning these type of meals? And how will that sit with, you know, not only myself who's doing the cooking perhaps, or if I have kids who have dietary likes and dislikes, it's like putting that all into the one basket and looking at how it's going to work out for the family overall. And I think that's pivotal is that particularly when the person who is doing the cooking in the household is making these changes, there's a real ripple effect through the family as well, just through osmosis, really. There really is. And we are a product of our own experiences. So if we've always done something the same way, we're going to be doing it the same way in the years to come. And so if you're ready to change the habit, and implement healthy habits, it takes quite a bit of repetition, but eventually it will become the new normal. And that means that you're right, not just the head of the family benefits from this, but it has a flow on effect. And it means that if you're making healthier choices, that's going to be your kids' new normal for their choices. Which would be game changing for the next generation, wouldn't it? If we could just impart those new behaviors and those understandings of food and even getting the family on board with what is this food? Like you talk about fuel for your body, it's getting the understanding of what those components are of a different carbohydrate, protein, different compounds that you find in fruit and vegetables and how beneficial they are for health, but really grasping that and understanding sort of what you're putting on the plate. And I think when you look at it from this food has a job to do, it's going to be my fuel. It's going to help me to think clearly or be more energetic or be there for my family and restore my vitality. That's a different way of looking at food rather than this is a celebration or this is a treat or this is how we do food on the weekends. It's a totally different food and also what it brings to the table as well. You definitely need to have a long-term view when you want to make changes. And when patients come to me and they say, which diet is the best? Which one's going to help me lose the weight the quickest and the fastest and is going to be the most effective? And they rattle off a few different names to me. So they talk about like restricting calories or they talk about eating at certain times during the day or they talk about cutting out food groups. Then I tell them, you're going to be the most successful by just adjusting what you're already eating. Because I can guarantee you, if you ate the same favorite foods the last 10 years, you're going to be eating those same favorite foods in the next 10 years. But at least what we can do is make sure that we are addressing your one P and three Fs. And that stands for your protein, your fat, your fiber, and your fluids. Mm -hmm. And those are the things that I'm most interested in when it comes to weight loss, because I don't think it's good enough when people are losing weight to simply give them a bunch of recipes because they're probably not going to stick to it. And they'll probably feel quite overwhelmed that they have to completely change what they're eating. 
I think it's really important to take a dietary history, find out what they're having, breakfast, lunch, dinner, morning, afternoon tea, fluid and alcohol. And from there, kind of calculate what their daily intake is like and where improvements can be made. And what I like to do is I like to calculate their ideal body weight, looking at where they're at right now and what their target weight is. And from there, calculating their protein and their other requirements. So I can essentially get the patients eating what they normally eat, but just giving them a simple suggestion like add in 20 grams of protein to your morning tea. And it's really easy for them to implement. They're quite happy because they still get to eat all of their favorite foods. And it's something that's actually sustainable in the long term where they won't feel like they're dieting. They won't feel like they're restricting themselves. They're just literally eating the foods they love and they're fueling their body with the right intake as well. That's the key, I think, isn't it? Is that tweaks, not total turning things upside down, but tweaking things, like you say, just making sure your snack has protein in it, which a lot of people don't necessarily think about and working from that platform of a protein goal or a target for your carbohydrates or whatever, rather than this continual calorie counting and restriction, it gives you a lot more scope and it makes food much more enjoyable. That's right. I'm going to move on to the stigma around weight. And there's a lot of talk in the professional communities at the moment about how we kind of position the conversation around a person's body type, whether they're living in a larger body, what their BMI is, and we're making a lot of changes in our language. How far reaching do you think the stigma is when patients are coming into practice? Someone might come in with a sore leg or maybe some osteoarthritis is giving them trouble. And at what point when a patient comes in to see you, as an example, at what point is it easy enough for you to move the conversation onto a weight-based conversation? And perhaps how do you even tiptoe around that? And how do you know what a patient might be looking for? I think it's really important to acknowledge that the patient has already encountered a lot of barriers before they've even come into your room. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about stigma and discrimination, it doesn't just happen in healthcare settings. It can happen socially and even at home. So Patients have actually been secretly suffering for this entire time before they've even made it into your room. And so we need to acknowledge the effort that it takes to be able to make that phone call, turn up on the day. And if they feel that the time is right, that the environment is right, that the doctor is the right match, the doctor is open-minded and non-judgmental, then they will feel ready to bring up that conversation. What I did recently was I spoke at the rural online conference for GPs. And I talked to them about how we can adapt our language and prepare ourselves for the consultation with these patients. And some of the things that I talked about was, number one, is your room ready for your patients? So do you actually have a tape measure that can measure more than one meter if you're going to be measuring your patient's waist circumference? Do you actually have a blood pressure cuff that is large and extra large? so that you're not actually overestimating someone's blood pressure. What words are you going to use when you start the conversation? Do they walk in the door and you say, oh, let's talk about weight loss today. That's really awkward. Is there any benefit in labeling someone as obese based on their BMI versus talking about their weight or talking about a healthy weight? And we can talk about the benefits of the problems with the BMI as well. I actually like to use the Edmonton obesity staging scale, but we can talk about that one later. But going back to it, 
it's hard. It's hard for the patients and sometimes it's hard for the doctors. Sometimes it's not quite the right time to bring it up, but it is always good to plant the seed and leave the door open to the conversation. Sometimes patients will feel comfortable and they'll say, look, I've been meaning to talk to you about this for a really long time. I'm a bit unhappy with my weight and can you help me? Mm -hmm. And other times, like every now and then I'll get a new patient and they'll say, oh, so-and-so referred me to come and see you. And they'll start the conversation by saying, I've been having this problem with my knee and it's been going on for quite some time. There's no acute trigger. There's no acute trauma. They're just coming in today to talk to me about their knee. And this happened recently. The lady got up on the bed and she said, oh, it's swollen and it's uncomfortable. And then she paused for a second. And I knew that she felt that the time was right and the relationship was right. And she said, today, I'm actually here to talk about my weight. I've been trying to bring it up for a really, really long time with my usual provider. Once I did bring it up and they told me, you just literally need to eat less and move more. And you are probably eating more than you actually think. And she just felt like she hadn't been listened to. She felt judged. She felt discriminated. And she walked out out of there feeling like she wasn't helped at all, which is why she came to see me after that. And so it can come up in many different ways. Sometimes we'll bring it up routinely. Let's measure your blood pressure. Let's measure your height and measure your weight. Sometimes it might come up in the consultation when we're talking about the early development of chronic disease. So I might be seeing a woman after she's tried to manage gestational diabetes in her pregnancy. She's now in the postnatal phase. And we talk about the increased risk of diabetes later in life that she has. And we say, look, there are things that we can do to prevent this. We can definitely try and get you back to a healthy weight. There's no rush. And you've gained this weight for nine months during the pregnancy. But in the long term, we want you to be a healthy weight for your size, and that's going to reduce your risk of chronic disease. So there's so many ways that we can bring it up, but it's about finding the right time and place for it for each patient. Yeah, it's fascinating. And even that the evidence is there that these overweight conversations are being had and people are feeling reluctant for up to eight years before they reach out. They've known and felt uncomfortable and can see that their efforts at weight loss have been unsuccessful. But the stigma is, I don't want to go to the doctor and have them to say to eat less and move more. So it's like finding the right person and finding the right timing and that sort of thing. And that's where the chronic state sets in is if you've been steadily gaining weight and trying everything that you know how to do for eight years before you even start the conversation with your GP about what can be done, there's all sorts of different inflammation and things that are setting up and contributing to that sort of long-term health picture in that eight-year period. And it's generally because of the stigma and because of the reluctance of our own selves to be that vulnerable. I think it's when you look at the level of weight gain and obesity in our community, it's funny that it's still a tricky conversation to have considering that one in three people are battling with that. So it's great that we're coming up with these better ways of accessing support. And even I think knowing where to go for support is another thing. I think a lot of the understanding is that if you go to the GP, they are going to say eat less and move more. And once you've eliminated that, you go back and you say, okay, I ate less and moved more. Now what? Like it's not simple maths. It's just not adding up. And I think that's when we need to look at what biochemically what's changing and why isn't there weight loss? And we're now finding more and more that this weight loss is quite unattainable in a lot of ways without this kind of intervention as well and the right support, not guessing and coming up with a professional who's 
going to give you a well-rounded approach. It's fantastic. What I want to do is also get you to tell us more about your program. How does it roll out and what can you bring to the table that might not have been on offer before? Yeah, so I actually did a bit of extra training with the World Obesity Federation to get some scope training. And during that time, I learned that there are actually a lot of factors that are outside of our control when it comes to weight loss. And I know that patients will often try and restrict their calories or burn their calories. And what they actually have control of is just the behavioral aspects, but they can't necessarily control their genes. They can't necessarily control their medical factors. They might not know whether their medications are adding to their weight gain. They might not have an awareness that they have some underlying psychological factors that need some support. And they might not be able to individually navigate their environment. And so what I've done is I created a weight assessment tool, which I gave to the GPs at the conference for them to start the conversation with patients to think about what are the factors that affect your weight and what it is that we can specifically help you with. And from there, I created the Enlighten Me program. So essentially what it is, is 16 weeks where you're having six visits with your GP. They're timed at specific times so that you actually have the knowledge and have the preparation and you're empowered before you come to this consultation. So no longer do you go to the GP and they say, you've got high blood pressure, here's the medication, I'll see you in a couple of weeks time. We know that the problem is being overweight. And so I give them learning modules where they can learn about the different medication types, what are the side effects, what are the costs, so that by the time the patient comes into that consultation, they'll literally come in and say, I'm ready to lose weight. I think I need medication. I have problems with insomnia and nausea. So I don't think that these two medications will suit me. I think I suit medication C. And that cuts down a lot of the consultation time. It means that the patient's been able to have that time and they can replay the lesson in order to make that decision for themselves. And that means that we're actually working in partnership. I'm not just putting them on what I think would be best for them. They've had time to think about their own situation and we come to that decision together. So the learning modules are part of it. I have a content hub that looks at things like medication options, the side effects, managing your sleep, managing setbacks, nutrition. There's a bunch of modules and they're timed specifically to match up with those six consultations where we review the medications and we adjust the nutritional intake. And like we said before, people need accountability and people need support. So there's weekly group coaching where patients can come and plan their week ahead and we help to manage any setbacks together. The other thing that's included is the private online community, because what I found is that patients often look for supports, but sometimes their supports are not that supportive. So <laughs> patients will often tell me, it's really hard for me to lose weight because my partner is tall and skinny and can eat all the chocolate in the house. And that means that there's chocolate in the house for me. And it's very, very difficult. Or they'll go out with their friends and their friends will say, just eat the pizza with us. It doesn't matter. You know, you can start your weight loss journey tomorrow. And so sometimes the people who are closest to you, who you think are going to be your best supports, in actual fact, aren't that supportive. So the best people to support you are people who are traveling along the same journey. And that's why I created a private online community where patients can seek peer support. The other thing that's included is a set of 10 exercise videos 
that utilize only a patient's body weight. And patients have asked me in the past, should I be doing strength training? Should I be doing HIIT training? Should I be (laughs) doing all sorts of different types of exercises? And I say, do what you enjoy, do what's fun, do what gives you a buzz, because then you're actually going to turn up and you're going to enjoy yourself. Exercise shouldn't be to burn the calories. Exercise Mm. should be about feeling good, feeling strong and feeling fit. And so the exercise that I have is for patients in the Enlighten Me program is just using their own body weight. All they need is three square meters inside the house. A mat is even optional and they can just do it from the comfort of their own home at their own pace on demand. And then they can hop in the shower afterwards. And it's very private and it's just a way to get the patients getting started with moving. So that's what the Enlighten Me program includes. sounds very wonderful. And I was going to say about that exercise, I think we look at it as another job to do as far as, you know, our health and our weight loss. And I think we're coming to discover that exercise is more something we do for our health, not necessarily for our weight. And I think that's an important one to focus on is that if you're implementing movement in every day and you're more active in some way that, like you say, is of interest, that changes things from an emotional perspective. You feel like you've achieved something, you've had a bit of fun, perhaps. Some people start dancing, others go back to things that they were doing in their youth that they used to enjoy. And I think it's we're changing the understanding of food and thinking about it as fuel. And I think we need to do that with exercise as well. It used to be that, you know, I need to lose weight, so I've got to go to the gym, get on the treadmill and burn off my Mars bar. And I think we're coming to realize that exercise is just movement. It's not necessarily a means for significant weight loss. It's more about how you're eating and stress levels and all those sorts of things to bring our biochemistry to the most accepting place that weight loss can take place. You're talking weight loss medications. Can you walk us through a little bit? Because there's been some really great advancements in this area. I think a lot of people in our audience would be listening and thinking of duramine or something like that and going, well, not going there. And I think most people who come to the point of having bariatric surgery have explored most of those medical interventions and with limited success and perhaps even regain. What's changed now in this realm as far as weight loss medications go? Yeah. So I think there's two parts of this question. The first part is what are the medication options? And Mm. when I was in medical school, we literally only had two medications. One medication was to reduce the amount of fat absorption that you had and the fat ended up in the stool and thereby reducing your fat absorption, then you would lose weight. And that really only worked if you had a significant and a sustainable amount of fat going into your diet. And I have to say, patients didn't really lose a significant amount of weight in my experience, and they found the side effects quite unpleasant. So that was one medication. Duramine you mentioned, and the ingredient inside that is called fentamine. Mm -hmm. And how that works is like drinking multiple cups of coffee in a day. So it belongs to the stimulant family and the side effects are similar to a cup of coffee where you get shaky hands, your heart rate goes faster, you get a bit sweaty. And in the process, your metabolism speeds up so that you're burning calories a little bit faster. Now, the problem with weight loss medications, which is, I think, the second part of the question, and also when you're using bariatric surgery as an intervention to lose weight, 
is there has to be a plan. So Mm. I've actually come off a lot of these weight loss breakthrough calls that I've had with patients and they say, look, I've tried gastric banding and I'm thinking about gastric sleeve and in between, I'm interested in what you've got to say about medical weight loss. And I asked them, when you had the surgery, was there ever a plan? And they said, well, you know, the plan is to put the band in there. Then I'm supposed (laughs) to lose the weight and I'm supposed to be healthy for life. All of these interventions, whether it be medication or whether it be surgery, they should really be used to kickstart the process while we implement the lifestyle changes because you've got to be healthy for your entire life. And there's ways of getting around the surgery. So sometimes even when patients have had a band or they have had a sleep, they learn how to eat with different techniques so that they're still actually getting a lot of calories in. So the mindset needs to shift that you're using the band or you're using the medication to restrict the calories going in. The mindset should actually be, I'm doing an intervention, which is designed to kickstart the process. And during that time, I'm going to make changes to my lifestyle. I'm going to learn how to fuel my body. I'm going to move so that by the time I'm smaller, I'm not small and soft. I'm small and lean and strong so that by the end of it, this becomes the new normal and you can actually maintain that for your entire life. Going back to the medications though, where is medication going? It's actually really exciting where medication's going and we have a lot more types of medications. One of the emerging groups of medications are called the GLP-1 or glucagon-like one peptide. And these medications you may have heard include semaglutide, brand name Ozempic, or liraglutide, brand name Saxenda. Mm -hmm. And they're actually diabetes medications and how they work is at the level of the brain and at the level of the gut. So at the level of the brain, they reduce your cravings and they reduce your appetite. And at the level of the gut, they slow down your digestion so that you feel fuller for longer. I've had quite a few patients who have done quite well on this because one of the problems that they had, looking back at the factors affecting your weight, was number one, a strong family history of diabetes. And if they're already insulin resistant or they've had gestational diabetes, they've got a very increased risk. And number two, if they come from a family where all of the family members are overweight and prone to overeating, they're probably going to have very high cravings. So considering these medications, how they work and whether they're right for the individual patient is something that's important. And then we have other medications that are not designed for weight loss, but they're designed to do other things. And sometimes they achieve weight loss as well. So every now and then I'll get a patient who comes in and says, look, I'm trying to lose weight, but I tend to gain a lot of weight around my midsection and my periods are really irregular and I've got heaps of pimples and I've never been someone who's had a 28 day cycle. And that kind of turns on a light bulb in my head where I think, does this patient have underlying polycystic ovarian Mm. syndrome? Because that in itself is a precursor to insulin resistance. And in these kind of patients, we think about adjusting their carbohydrates. And by adjusting, I don't mean zero carb or low carb. I mean, spacing out your carbohydrates over the day so that you're not getting spikes in your insulin. And I often think about using an old-fashioned medication called metformin Mm. to help manage their insulin resistance. And then last of all, there's a very, very old medication that we use for migraine prevention that has appetite suppression as its side effect. So I've been using that medication a little bit more recently because we've had a shortage of the injectable medication. So that's the range of medication options from a GP perspective. 
But I think what's important is, first of all, having a really good plan. I hear you. And I'm also just highlighting these, the new GLP-1, just the benefit. I mean, we were expecting sort of 5% weight loss with other medications and these new developments are giving 20 to 25% weight loss, which is game changing. It's, I don't think we've seen that kind of result before. It comes along with lifestyle, but it also really gets the ball rolling and they can be used prior if you are not having bariatric surgery immediately. But I think it's also important to highlight that if you are a bariatric patient and you're going through regain, it's not your fault, firstly. And the best thing we've done is understand that obesity is a chronic disease. So it's kind of either in remission or it's rearing its head again. And so when we've had bariatric surgery and we're starting to get that hunger back and then things slowly lose you know, their way, often this is a time where we can use these as an adjuvant, as alongside your surgery, as another tool, because we all know the surgery is not the be all and end all. It's an amazing support and it will certainly change the metabolic picture of these patients really quickly. But down the track, I think we need to remember that there might be other times where we need support, which is again, why I encourage people to reach out to those like yourself doing these programs and constantly having that kind of professional input, because like this, things have changed and it's really nice to know that we get up-to-date information from practitioners who are receiving these downloads, but because otherwise we're wandering around thinking, geez, I've just had bariatric surgery, I'm regaining, I'm just not going to go back because I'm just too embarrassed. And I think we need to really be clear on removing that mindset and encouraging people to reach out early because there's more that can be done and it's not your fault. And it's great that we have these other support mechanisms now that are really effective. And in the years to come, there's going to be more and more medication options that we haven't yet had. And what we do is we compare these according to the gold standard, which is bariatric surgery, because Mm -hmm. right now, bariatric surgery outperforms all of the medication options. But not everyone wants to commit to something that is potentially invasive or going to cause increased reflux or affect their social life when they're trying to eat and is as definite or as permanent as surgery. And you're right in that we do have more options now that can be used before or after surgery. So for bariatric patients who have regained the weight, we can definitely consider medically supervising them. Or if patients are considering surgery, but they want to do one more thing first, they want Mm. to give it one last try with some medical assistance, then they can consider having medically supervised weight loss before bariatric surgery. And we've had good results with the GLP-1s, and we are expecting even better results with the medications yet to come. I'm wondering whether there's a chance that the percentage weight loss of the GLP-1s actually reaches to become equivalent with bariatric Mm. surgery in the future and how that's going to change the landscape when it comes to weight loss. Oh, definitely gives more options, doesn't it? Which I think when you have a look at the population that are dealing with this kind of thing, the more we can help, the better. And the more we spread this kind of word of reach out and get support and there's help for you out there. I'm aware of your time. I just wanted to go through how we might find you and how to get involved in the program if it's something that's really resonating with our audience. Yes, thank you. So I've decided to make it very, very easy for you and I've put it all into one link. So it's upliftmed.click slash podcast. 
And from there, once you put in your email address, you'll have access to all of the things that I just talked about. So number one, the first thing to look at is the weight assessment tool. So you can think about the factors affecting your individual circumstances that might be affecting your weight. Number two, I've also included a recording of the weight loss masterclass that I did on the 16th of November, 2022. And that was called weight loss that has nothing to do with restrictive eating, burning calories or fighting cravings. Number three, there is an option to book in a free weight loss breakthrough call. And that's a 45 minute call that's free of charge with myself. It doesn't matter whether you want to join Enlighten Me or if you just want some advice on what's the next steps for you, because that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take your medical history. I'm going to find out how you tracked with your past attempts at weight loss and guide you on what I think would be the next best step for you, whether that is extending an invitation for you to join Enlighten Me or whether it's working with your GP, having a referral to a bariatric service or something else. And also in the email is a link to my free Facebook community called Medical Weight Loss for Australians and also the links to my social media if you're interested in following my weight loss program journey. It sounds wonderful. And I just wanted to highlight that all of those links that you just gave us will be available in the show notes, which are all housed at www.awlspodcast.com. So you'll find all of our previous episodes there of the Australian Weight Loss Surgery Podcast and any of the free offerings and links to any of our guests. You'll find a wealth of information there, free downloads and how to contact each person as well. And particularly Angela, I think what you're offering is game-changing because it comes from such a trusted source with the medical background as well as your holistic approach to bringing about health for all our people who have been battling and maybe have been a bit reluctant to reach out. I think it can be a minefield and when we can qualify who's running the show and what sort of input they've got on offer, I think it's, and just the range of options, whether you're just hopping in to just tweak and maybe lose five or 10 kilos or whether you really want to lose significant weight there is a way to do it. And I think supervised is the way to go. I think that's a really clear message that we've comes from everything we do. Reach out and get help and don't guess. I think a lot of it is, well, I'll just try this and I'll try this new thing. And now with the internet, we have keto, we have carnivore diet. Where did that come from? <laughs> um, so many different things that come into our space. And, and even that is like an interruption of maybe you're trying something and it's starting to work. But then in comes the next Facebook feed of the next best thing. So we swing to that and think, well, maybe that's it. But when we can go to some safe place and find what actually works and has evidence and has great support, I think it's a no-brainer for me. Wonderful. I'm looking forward to helping all your podcast listeners. You're welcome to book in your breakthrough call. And I'm looking forward to connecting with you all and helping you along your weight loss journey. Yeah, it's been amazing. It's been great. We've spoken a lot off air too. And I think yeah, have just got so much to offer as far as um, the holistic approach and the fact that you're looking to spread the word to other professionals and just to help with unpacking things for patients when they're not quite sure how to address this weight loss question. Wonderful work. I'm, it's been so great to talk with you. Thank you, Angela Kwong. Thanks for listening. And just before you go, we would love to hear your feedback. So please give us a rating and review. For other interesting topics of conversation and inspiration, come and drop into our Facebook community at BN Bariatric. If you've enjoyed our podcast, we hope you will share on your Facebook or Instagram and hit subscribe so you'll never miss an episode.